Welcome to the BWFA Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise podcast series brought to you by Baltimore Washington Financial Advisors. This podcast is informational and not a specific recommendation. Please consult with your financial advisor. Hello, and welcome to a new podcast series. My name is Thad Ismart. I am a senior financial planner at Baltimore Washington Financial Advisors. And today we're going to talk about mistakes people make in retirement and how to avoid them. This is the first in a series of podcasts about these mistakes. And today we're going to touch on three. First, not having an estate plan. Well, what is an estate? An estate is all your stuff. Think of your estate as all of your properties, your homes, anything inside your home that has value, investments, bank accounts, life insurance proceeds. Add all of this up subtract any outstanding debt for the most part, what you're left with your estate. What happens to your estate when you pass away? Common misconception is that everything passes to a spouse. Or if you don't have a spouse, everything's going to go to your children. Actually, if you don't have a will or a revocable living trust, which I'll talk about in a few minutes, your estate is going to go according to the laws of intestacy. That simply means Maryland has an estate plan for you or your state of residence has an estate plan for you. In Maryland, any singly owned asset, any asset that does not have a beneficiary, for the most part, is going to go through probate. Probate is a court process where a judge looks at your will, if you have one, and makes sure that person you named in your will to manage your estate passes your assets as you intend. This is only governing singly owned assets, not jointly owned assets, singly owned assets, and assets that do not have a beneficiary designation. A common misconception is a will will avoid probate. That's not the case. All it is is a will is is directions to the judge so he doesn't have to make sure your assets pass according to Maryland law. Instead, you've outlined those your wishes in your will. If you don't have a will, well, what happens? Maryland says that if you're married, half, everything goes to your spouse, I should say. If you're married with children, if you have minor children, half goes to your children, half goes to your spouse. Again, these are only singly owned assets and any asset that does not have a beneficiary designation. Your house, if you're married, it's probably jointly owned. It goes to the surviving owner. Any account that has a beneficiary, a 401k, an IRA, even a bank account or investment account could have a beneficiary designation. That's going to go according to the beneficiary designations. It will not go according to your will. Any of these assets that don't have beneficiaries or singly owned, half is going to go through, go to your children, the other half to your spouse. If you have adult children and you're married, the first 40,000 goes to your spouse, then the remaining assets are split 50-50. And then there are some other rules if you don't have any children, you have siblings, but that's mainly the estate plan Maryland has outlined for you. If you have a will, you don't have to worry about that. Everything's going to go to your will. Another common misconception is that uh, a will will govern or trump your beneficiary designations, which is not the case. In your will, for example, if you say everything goes to my surviving spouse, but your beneficiary designations, wherever they are, say that they go, it goes to children or anybody other than their spouse, the beneficiary designation actually trumps the will. Always make sure your beneficiary designations are up to date. Most common examples, it doesn't happen often, that I've seen are where younger folks name their parents as beneficiaries, but then they get married and do not update their beneficiary designation. Another mistake is naming a child as a beneficiary. Children cannot own assets. So if the 
beneficiary is a child, it has to go through the courts and the court has to name a guardian and a custodian if you haven't done that already. Easiest thing to do is update your estate documents so that in your will or a trust, if you have it, you've named a guardian, you've named a custodian, and then you're going to have specific language that the estate attorney will give you on what you should put as your beneficiary designation. When you update and or create your estate documents, always make sure your beneficiary designations are up to date. In addition to a will, you'd want to have an advanced medical directive. An advanced medical directive includes two things, a healthcare agent, that's someone that can manage your uh, healthcare decisions in the event that you cannot voice your own opinion. As long as you can, healthcare agent does not come into play. It's only if you can't voice your own health decisions. You've outlined those in your uh, medical directive. And then your living will. The living will is your end of life wishes. If you're in a persistent vegetative state, what do you want to have happen to you? Do you want medication, food, water, all of the above, none of the above? This will make it a lot easier for whoever's going to handle your affairs. If you're married, then it might be your spouse or whoever it is, children, relatives, once you are not around. Also, you want to have a financial power of attorney. This is someone, uh, this document allows someone to manage your finances in the event that you cannot. It is effective immediately if it is a durable power of attorney and not a springing power of attorney. So as long as someone has this document, even if you are not incapacitated, they can still make financial decisions for you. For that reason, it's very important not to have original copies lying around. You could have a gatekeeper such as the attorney holding onto, onto it. And then if something does happen to you, they would go to the attorney and then they would ask for the power of attorney. Conversely, you can have a springing power of attorney, which means it only comes into effect when you're disabled. The problem with that is that most doctors or most attorneys at that point, in order to activate that power of attorney, will require two or three different opinions on your incapacity. So there may be a lot of hoops to jump in and time may be of the essence. So you may not want it to be springing. Most of the attorneys we work with want the power of attorney just to be a durable, not a springing power of attorney. So it's in effect immediately once you have the document, but also make sure there's a gatekeeper such as the attorney. So the person who has the power of attorney just can't act on your behalf. The second mistake that we'll talk about today is Medicare and overpaying for Medicare. 95% of people on Medicare overpay. And why do they do that? Well, they just don't know better. And it's not their fault. They just don't know they have choices. They don't shop around. For example, Medicare uh, Part D, prescription drug plans. Drug plans are state-based and the insurance companies use a tiered list called a formulary. Basically, it's a ranking of their prescriptions from expensive to more expensive or vice versa. But each company ranks their own prescriptions. So one prescription from one company may be less or more expensive than the exact same prescription from another company. And if your needs change or if the prices change and you don't shop around, you may be paying too much for prescription Part D plans. Another instance where people overpay on Medicare is when they purchase Medigap policies. I encourage you to listen to one of the other podcasts. There's several of them talking about Medicare. But when we talk about Medigap policies, we're talking about policies that help fill in the gaps. Gaps are extra costs. So depending on your situation and the direction you go in signing up for Medicare, you may have some out-of-pocket costs. Those out-of-pocket costs can be covered through a Medigap policy. Some are more comprehensive than the other. But it's important to note that these Medigap policies, they're standardized by the letter. 
What that means is no matter where you purchase this Medigap policy, the letter policy, such as Medigap Part G, is exact same benefits, has exact same benefits no matter where you purchase it. The only thing that changes is the price. So if you don't shop around, then you may be, be paying too much for a Medigap policy. Because remember, you get the exact same benefits no matter where you purchase it. Now, some insurance companies may have different health underwriting than others, which may make it more expensive or less expensive than others. So there may not be a choice, but you don't know unless you shop around. And lastly, for Medicare, people overpay is because they don't necessarily know that they can appeal the IRMAs, the income-related monthly adjustment amounts. What are IRMAs? These IRMAs are the premium increases you get uh, based off of your income. When you sign up for Medicare, your Part D and Part B plans, B and D, are going to be based off of your income that the IRS has on file for you. Typically, that's from two years ago. So it's common where someone retires and their Medigap or Medicare Part B and D plans, their premiums are increased because two years ago, they may have been a in a position where they are a high wage earner, much more so than they are now, of course, when they're retired. Many folks don't know you can appeal this and don't know that one of the reasons you can appeal these IRMAs is if you have income much lower than previously stated on a tax return because of retirement or loss of income because of a work reduction. It could be because of your, you or your spouse. You can use SA44 form SA-44 to appeal these IRMAs. And in order to get it approved, you'll need to provide some sort of proof. And it could be a current tax return. It could be a letter on letterhead, company letterhead, indicating that you have retired or your work has been reduced. And you can mail this in to your local social security office. I recommend going to the office because you can go to the social security office, show proof to one of the social security Medicare representatives there, and then they give a stamp of approval and you're done. So most people overpay because they don't shop around for Medigap, they don't shop around for prescription drug plans, and they don't know that they can appeal their IRMAs. And these IRMAs also apply to Part D, Part B and Part D. Lastly, we're gonna talk about mistakes related to Social Security. 85% of folks who are eligible for survivor benefits and or benefits based on an ex-spouse don't receive them because they don't know that they're available. As long as you have been married for 10 years or more, uh, you are eligible for uh, benefits based on an, a deceased spouse. If you, you can also receive spousal benefits based on an ex-spouse. This is not as important as it was maybe five, six years ago. At that point, there was a strategy you could use called a restricted application, which is being phased out. It's almost phased out at the end of this year, be completely phased out. That's where you can apply for spousal benefits, spousal benefits up to 50% of your spouse's or ex-spouse's full retirement age benefit, while letting your own benefit grow by 8% per year. And then applying for your benefit at age 70, there's no benefit to wait beyond 70, and you'll get an 8% increase per year you delay from full retirement age to 70. Now, when you apply for benefits, any benefit, Social Security is going to be deeming you to be applying for all benefits you're eligible for. So if you have an ex-spouse, even a spouse for that matter, and you apply for spousal benefits, you are going to receive the greater of your own or spousal benefits, ex-spouse or current spouse. More important, though, is a deceased spouse. If you have an ex-spouse or a deceased spouse, 
or deceased ex-spouse, I should say. So if you have a deceased spouse or a deceased ex-spouse, you are eligible to start benefits as early as age 60. And effectively, you can be using that restricted application. There's no formal process to let the Social Security Administration know you are using the restricted application. You can simply apply for benefits based on a deceased spouse or deceased ex-spouse and let your own benefits grow to age 70 as current law stands. It's important to note, though, if you got remarried, if you were remarried before age 60, you are not eligible for benefits based on a deceased ex-spouse or deceased spouse. You would be eligible for your current spouse. So if you're married after 60, remarried, no problem. Just know that deceased spouse or deceased ex-spouse, there are benefits out there. In fact, you should, in the most, most cases, I don't want to say all, in most cases, you should be starting those benefits as early as possible if you're not working. If you're working, there could be a reduction to get the most benefits allowable. Because remember, you can start your own benefits at age 70. I encourage you to listen to the Social Security uh, podcasts, the Medicare podcasts. Uh, We have many estate planning podcasts. Stay tuned for uh, new podcasts on mistakes people make in retirement and how to avoid them. Thank you for listening. Bye. Thanks for listening. For questions, more information, or to schedule a conversation, please contact Baltimore Washington Financial Advisors. Past performance is no measure or guarantee of future returns. Investing in securities involves risk, including the risk of principal. The securities and services mentioned here may not be suitable for every investor. You should discuss these with your advisor prior to making a final determination based on your risk tolerance, your investment objectives, and your financial situation. Baltimore Washington Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor.